Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. If you are new or checking this out for the first time, my name's Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here at the Austin Stone. We're actually in the second week of our sermon series called Unique. Unique, as we look at the Christian faith and look at what makes our faith distinct from the world around us. So last week we, we looked at our unique authority in the scriptures, which if you miss, you should go back and listen to. Uh, it was phenomenal. Ross did a phenomenal job of starting us off. This week we're looking at the unique trinity and the unique nature of God as the one who's speaking through the scriptures. We made this point pretty clearly last week, but it bears repeating that we don't worship the Bible. We worship the living God who gave us the Bible, who speaks through the Bible. And as the church has studied the scriptures and who God has revealed himself to be, every Orthodox Christian has come to the same conclusion across every generation and every context. There is one God who exists eternally as three persons who are each fully God. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. It's one of the most mysterious, complex, and yet fundamental and essential truths about who God truly is. Now for all the difficulties and the questions that arise as we truly consider, okay, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit as one God Almighty, we, we must have a humble posture to understand what you've already experienced. See, when, when we approach complex truth in the Bible, it can be really easy for our lack of understanding to produce in us skepticism or doubt. It's, it's the human condition to assume that if I can't see something clearly, then nobody can, or if I can't see something clearly, then it must not be there. And as your mind inevitably melts, as you try to think about the reality that there can be one God who exists eternally as three persons, listen to me, it is hubris, it is pride to think that our inability to understand something means that it's an unstable and unreliable truth. I'll never forget, I'll never forget one of the first times uh, we have an elder at our church who works in day trading. And he was explaining to me how his algorithms in day trading worked. Now my liberal arts brain listened to him and I did not understand a word. So I pulled a Michael Scott from the office, I said, why don't you explain this to me like I'm five? And then he explained it to me and I still didn't understand. I thought he was a wizard of some sort because I don't understand these algorithms he was talking about. Now, imagine if I walked away from that, I came to you, we're having a conversation about the conversation, the, the conversation I just had. Imagine if I said, I'm not even sure day trading exists. And they're like, doesn't exist? And I said, yeah, I mean, I can't understand it. Then how could it be true? But how often do we do the same thing when we read the scriptures and God says something about himself or about reality or about us, and we assume, well, if I can't understand it, it could never be that there's something deficient in me. Something must be deficient in the Bible. But if you're ever going to learn about God, you have to be humble before him. It's true for any area of study or topic. In order to learn, you have to have the humility to say, I may not know at first glance what something means. So we have to be humble in order to learn, but also if we're gonna learn about the doctrine of the Trinity, we have to remember that all of us 
We need to be humble, but all of us are born into powerful realities that take time for us to truly understand. Think about it. All of us, even if you're listening to this and you're you're not even a Christian, all of us are born into families, are born into families that were greatly affecting the rest of your life when you were eight years old. You were born into a family and at eight, nine, 10, seven, well, however old you were, you were being greatly, the rest of your life was being shaped by those moments. And when you were eight, you had no idea how deep those moments went. You had no idea how complex they truly were. That's why you can be 60 years old and still learn how your family of origin affected your life. It takes time to wrap your mind around the powerful realities all of us are born into. That's true for every human being, but this is especially true for every Christian. At your very first breath, you were born into the triune life of God. But you're born in the triune life of God, but you had no idea that's what was happening. You had no idea how the Trinity worked. All you knew, this is the best thing about Christianity, it's not an amount of knowledge that saves you, it's faith that saves you. And all you had was faith that there was a person named Jesus who died for my sins and made me right with God. And now I had a future secured with him. But you didn't know how the Trinity worked. You were experiencing all the love of the Father and Son and Spirit, but you didn't know how everything worked. It takes time eternity to be exact, to understand all that God has done and all that he's called you into. So we think about the doctrine of the Trinity. Here's what I wanna do today. I wanna spend less time on the mechanics and the diagrams of the Trinity, and I wanna focus on the relationships within the Trinity. Now listen, the mechanics are incredibly important, and they've been a topic of debate throughout the history of the church, but here's here's what I want you to walk away today knowing. I want you to walk away knowing this. The center of reality are relationships of love. Please understand this. The center of reality are relationships of love. Human experience demonstrates this again and again and again, that we, we crumble without relationships of love. And I think most of us understand this implicitly, but the Christian faith uniquely relative to every other worldview, explains why love is so important. You wanna know why? It has everything to do with the doctrine of the Trinity. So you have a Bible, go and turn to Mark 1, Mark 1 verses nine through 11. And we're gonna read this section in just a second, but uh, before we do, I wanna orient your mind around this doctrine, I mean really quickly. So if you're new to the faith, you're not gonna find the word Trinity anywhere in the Bible but Trinity has proven to be a helpful descriptor of the orthodox teaching that there is one God who exists as three persons who are each fully God. Now, throughout the history of the church, there's been various definitions and wordings, but essentially, everyone's attempting to thread this same needle. Now, we could go to the Old Testament, and there's glimpses there of God revealing himself as triune, but it's when God the Son enters into history where you see the Trinity most clearly. It's when God the Son enters the world in the person of Jesus Christ where the Trinity becomes more clear. So let's look at Mark chapter one, verses nine through 11. You'll see every member of the Trinity together. Mark one, verse nine. It says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. 
And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. In this text, you see every member of the Trinity in the same scene interacting with one another in perfect harmony, in unison, in cohesion, and oneness. And I want you to notice in this text how each one is giving himself to the others. So God the Son is receiving God the Spirit. God the Spirit is coming upon Jesus to empower him for ministry. He'd already been with Jesus when he brought him into the womb of Mary mysteriously. God the Father is sending God the Spirit. And as the Spirit comes, he's speaking over the Son as the Son listens submissively and attentively to what he has to say to him. In the whole scene, there's not one moment of dissonance or clunkiness, but only the seamless perfection in God as he reveals who he is to us. Now, if there was one word, I mean one word to describe the way God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit relate to one another, it would have to be love. It would have to be love. As you read the Gospels and you read the New Testament, what becomes clear is that the heart of God is an eternal, overflowing fountain of love. I wanna show you how every person of the Trinity speaks to the others and relates to the others. Look at how God the Father speaks about God the Son. Mark 1.11, it says, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. When God the Father looks at God the Son, he could have said so many different true things about him. He could have said, you're my wise son. You're my truthful son. You're my faithful son. You're my strong son. You're my eternal son. And all of those, all of those would have been true. But what does he say when he speaks to his son? You're my beloved you fill me with joy. When the God the Father sees God the Son, he can't contain himself with the joy that he experiences and the love he has for him. Then look at how God the Son speaks about God the Father. John 14, 31, this is Jesus speaking. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. He's obeying every word of his father, not to simply display his resolve or his faithfulness. He obeys every word because he wants everybody to know that he loves the father. He wants everybody to know this is not a relationship of obligation or cold diligence, but of overflowing affection and allegiance. He doesn't want there to be one ounce of doubt or confusion about what drives him. What's his source of motivation? He's saying, I'm obey because I'm already loved. And I obey so that everybody would know how much I love my Father. And then look at how God the Spirit, he communicates all of God's love. Romans 5, 5, look at this. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. All of God's love that flows between the Father and the Son is communicated by and poured out through God the Spirit. 
He's the one accomplishing and bringing about the love of God in any and every moment, in any and every manifestation of it. The eternal song of love being sung to one another between Father, Son, and Spirit and celebrated between each member of the Trinity is now poured into the heart of every Christian by God the Spirit. You have to understand this is why God is love. God is love. God's love did not begin with us. It did not begin with the world. It did not begin with Jesus. It did not begin with the Bible. God's love has no beginning and it has no end because his love has always existed forever in eternity past with the joy of God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit in one another. So here's what this means. This means that at the center of the universe, at the center of reality, at the center of reality is God who is defined by relationships of love. This is an incredible thing to truly consider and it shows you the uniqueness, the uniqueness of the Christian faith. The implications of it are massive. I wanna read to you a quote from Tim Keller from his book, The Reason for God. Here's the quote. He says, and this is in the middle of an argument he's making. However, if God is triune, then loving relationships in community are the great fountain at the center of reality. When people say God is love, I think they mean that love is extremely important or that God really wants us to love. But in the Christian conception, God really has love as his essence. If he was just one person, he couldn't have been loving for all eternity. Ultimate reality is a community of persons who know and love one another. This, that is what the universe, God, history, and life is all about. If you favor money, power, and accomplishment over human relationships, you will dash yourself on the rocks of reality. You will dash yourself on the rocks of reality. I hope I hope you're able to digest how profound this is. Ultimate reality is a community of persons who know and love one another. Everything literally orbits around relationships of love. And listen, no other worldview, no other worldview can explain love the way Christianity does. So in other monotheistic religions, God, they share with us in common that God is at the center of all things, but because God's not triune in monotheistic religions other than Christianity, God can't be love in essence because there's no one for him to love before creation. Love requires more than one person for it to exist. So if God is by himself before creation, then he can be defined by power, he can be defined by truth, but he can't be defined by love. For polytheistic religions, the, the gods have relationships with one another, but rarely, if ever, are they defined by love. But even if they were, because there's no center, because there's not one God, there's no supremacy or singular authority or unity around what love truly is. But for many of our friends, and maybe again, you're listening to this and you, you're not sure if you're a Christian yet, I'm glad you're with us. For many of our friends in our context, most people don't ascribe to any religious system of thought. Most people are more secular in nature. And so if they were forced to articulate their secular worldview, they have to say that a secular worldview is basically this, 
There is nothing truly spiritual about reality. That's a secular worldview. There's nothing truly spiritual about reality. That our experience as human beings is merely a combination, a, a combination of matter, heat, chaos, and chance. And while scientific discovery is an incredible gift from God in understanding how the universe works, if you trace the secular perspective to its core, if you trace it back to its center, there is no such thing as love. There's no such thing as love. If you trace it, honestly, back to its center, there's actually no meaning whatsoever. Because if there is no God, and there's no spiritual dimension, then as strongly as you may believe or feel that love is real, or human rights are real for that matter, if there is no God and no spiritual dimension, then love, human rights, have no basis in reality. All they are are emotions you feel, they're chemicals in your brain, and they're inherited traits passed down from your ancestors, but there's no objective thing called love. And yet, and yet nobody, I mean nobody, can deny the importance of, of the relationships of love for the flourishing of human beings. Human beings crumble without them. But without the, the Trinitarian God, you can't truly say why. Christianity alone can explain the importance and power of love. See, we live we live in an age of increasing loneliness and increasing disconnection from one another. And everything is telling us we're falling apart because of it. Your personal experience, my personal experience of loneliness tells me that. And the studies that are being done show they only increase the validity of our deep need for relationships of love. According to some studies done by the Health Resources and Service Administration, if you're ever on a .gov website, you can check this out. Loneliness and social isolation can be as damaging to your physical health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's how damaging it can be to your health. The CDC has done some national surveys uh, during the pandemic about the mental health of our country. And if you read through, I just read through it this week, it's online, you can check it for yourself. If you read through it, what you're gonna see is that our country is struggling. I mean, the stats are devastating. And particularly among young people, the thoughts of suicide, anxiety, depression, and the use of substances to cope with these have increased significantly, and especially in 18 to 24 year olds. And the reason for this is, during this pandemic, not only have we been isolated from one another, but what are all of us watching every day? We're watching relationships of love be torn apart. We're watching injustice take place right in front of us. We're watching people have almost no ability, who disagree, almost no ability to find common ground. We're watching the social fabric that we belong to show how fragile it truly was. And when you watch that day after day after day, you begin to struggle, you begin to crumble because human beings wither without communities of love to belong to because that's the heart of reality. The heart of reality are relationships of love. This is why sin and evil in the Bible are described primarily in relational terms. Our rebellion against God is what? It's a rejection of a relationship of love with him 
of submission to him. So what happens? The result of all of that is that our relationships shift from focusing, that used to be when we had God loving us, our relationships with other people were, were focused on loving them and serving them, and now all of our relationships are about us and the good of ourselves. I mean, how often have so many of us bought the lie that what we primarily need in life is achievement or freedom or independence or status or money or sexual expression or a career path. And if we could just get, I mean, that, those are the things that our culture tells us, that's what you need to be happy. And yet all of those things pale in comparison to being deeply known and deeply loved. All of those things pale in comparison to knowing other people deeply and loving them deeply through all of it. See, it's not that any of those things I just listed off are necessarily bad, but they miss our most fundamental design to bear the image of the triune God. This is actually why Jesus came. God the Father sent God the Son by God the Spirit to bring us back to what we had lost, to bring us back to the heart of reality, to the relationships of love we were made for. Jesus says this explicitly in John 14, 23. Jesus answered him, listen to what he says. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Look at this last promise. And we will come to him or her and make our home. Make our home with him or her. Jesus came not to persuade the Father to love us. He came because God the Father and God the Son, by the power of God the Spirit, wanted to bring us into their home of love. Love for Jesus and keeping his word is not about obligation. It's not about religious rule keeping. It's not about social grandstanding. It's about being drawn into the eternal warmth of affection and safety and refuge and joy in the home of the Trinity. That's what life is about. And the promise of Jesus to anyone who would trust him is that faith in him brings you into this family where you know what you get to hear? You get to hear God the Father speak over you. And he doesn't speak my accomplished, my strong, my put together child. He looks at us in Jesus and says, my beloved child. My beloved child, by faith in Jesus, we get to stand in the son's place. We get to stand in the son's place as the spirit comes down on us and fills us. And we get to hear the father speak over us in his joy and his pleasure in us. That should change our lives. That should change how we relate. That should make us unique. And so we should bask in this reality that God's grace has given to us in his love, but now he's given you the Holy Spirit to live out this kind of love. The immediate application for the truth that God is love and then he shares his love with us over and over and over again in the New Testament, the application is always, then love one another. I'll give you the, Seminal text on this, 1 John 4, 7 through 8. He's gonna start with application and then move to the source. 
He says, beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, you're loved. Let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So here's the question I, I, I want us to ask. The question I want us to ask is this kind of love what you are known for right now? I need you to go out of listening mode and passive mode and introspective mode. Is this the kind of love you are known for? Don't immediately go to society. Don't immediately go to the church. Christian introspection always begins with self and then moves to society. But you always start with self. Think about it. Does your language, do your text, does your schedule, do your post, do you in, your internal thoughts, is the way you behave, do you look at that and go, I'm known for my love? Asking that question, I'll be honest, I asked a question of myself this week, and I would say sometimes, but what I saw in my life was, man, I'm fearful of this. I'm angry about that. Do you feel that way towards, and also are you known for your love for other Christians? Because that beloved, let us love one another is a command for how we treat other Christians. Church, if we, if we truly wanna make an impact and we truly wanna change our culture, then we have to believe love is the primary thing that defines us. Don't buy the lie that truth and love can't coexist. Don't buy the lie that justice and love can't move in unison together. They're all things God possesses and he's one and he's not severed and he's not torn apart. So we can follow him and be people known for both. Don't view this season, don't view this season as purposeless. Don't view this season that we're in right now, something to merely get past. I can already hear us talking, let's just get past the election. Don't view time that way. You don't know what's on the other side of that. Don't view this season as something merely to get past. It's not that, listen to me, God is pruning us. God is refining his church to truly be a people of love by exposing how little of it we possess. He's refining you, he's refining me to show us how quickly we justify our lack of love. Love is not the removal of distinction among us. Love produces unity, not uniformity. Love in the Trinity doesn't diminish the distinction between the Father, Son, and Spirit. But do you know what love does with distinction? It causes distinction to move towards the other. It causes distinction to move towards the other, to serve the other, to rejoice with the other, to unify together as one in purpose and passion. Will this sort of love be easy? No. No, but love was never rooted in ease, it's rooted in sacrifice. Will following Jesus require you to love people you disagree with? Absolutely, absolutely. Our love is rooted in God's love for us. He loved you and loved me when he disagreed with everything about you and everything about me. 
to love one another, we'll, we'll have to slow down. We'll have to make space. We'll have to truly listen to each other. We'll have to value people as people and not as projects or narratives to share time and space and to still speak the truth in love to one another. There is no such thing as love that doesn't cost. Perhaps greater the cost, greater the love. Love is not silence and love is not shouting. Love is serving other people. Love is sacrifice for the good of other people. I wanna close, I wanna close by reading a definition of love from 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to me. This is not a wedding text. This is a church in conflict and a church in division text. If you read it at your wedding, bummer. But no, I'm sorry, it was, it was great. It was great for your wedding, okay? For your wedding, it was a wedding text, okay? But in the context, it wasn't that. So, this church is divided, this church is in conflict, and as I read what the definition of love is, I need, I need you to lock in just for like 10 seconds. As I read what love is, do not listen to the fear that's in you and the fear that's surrounding us that says, this kind of love is naive. This kind of love is powerless. This kind of love is too slow, and this kind of love is something the other side will use against me. It's love that changed you, and it's your love that'll change other people. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 13, verse four. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God brought us into his eternal love through the blood of Jesus. He died so that you could live in his love. And it's his love for you that keeps you in his love. You can't fail your way out of his love. So quit letting people fail their way out of your love. Nothing is more important. But without his help, without his help, we will not know how to love in very complicated situations. And without his help, we won't even have the power to love in difficult situations. So here's how I wanna close. I want us to close by asking God the Spirit to fill us up with God's love, to bring a fresh experience of God the Father and God the Son making their home with us. To be a church, to, to, I don't know where you're at, I don't know what it's gonna mean for you to actually pray, but I need us to be a people who actually pray. We're not going to make it if you don't know how to pray. We need God the Spirit so badly to overcome all of the pain and all of the hurt. We need a fresh experience. I don't, need to, I don't need a doctrine of the Trinity right now. I need an experience of the Trinity right now. That's what we need. We need to know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit to be a church filled with love, to figure out a way to serve each other through a pandemic. 
and through racial hurt and trauma and through an election, I don't, I really don't know what it's gonna look like. I just know with every fiber of my being, he has to be with us. So I want us to give us a moment for us to respond, for us to get ready to worship, to beg God the Spirit, please fill me, fill us with your love. Let's pray. God, I confess to you how loveless I can be. I confess to you, God, how fearful I can be. I confess to you, God, that my fear and our fear turns people from image bearers into enemies. It turns people who I share the common ground of the cross with into enemies that I have to overthrow. God, we confess that it's hard to love people we feel better than. It's hard to love people that we feel superior to. But God, we are not banking our confidence or our love or our resolve to love one another on anything to do with us. God, we're banking it on you. So God, the Holy Spirit, please fill me up. Fill us up. We want a fresh experience, God, of the Father and Son and Spirit making their home with us. Because God, if you are for us, who could be against us? If you're for us, no one can overthrow your plans. No one can thwart you. No one can stop your purposes. So God, we're done clinging to ourselves and our ideologies and what the world offers us. Help us cling to you. Help us follow you, Holy Spirit, into love. Help us be a people known for our allegiance to you over every other one. Fill us as we sing, God, please.